was a greeting that he used in many of his letters, and we have some of them that have turned up in the New Testament. His letter to the Romans was to a group of Christians that he had never been with personally. So his introduction about who he is is a little longer. And as he starts to do that, he is, he is swept into, swept into the, the truth and the majesty of who Jesus is and who he is in Jesus. There is a section in there that, that sounds like it almost belongs to, uh, to a creed. Um, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. It's a tight sentence which carries so much freight about the identity of Jesus and Paul adopts it into himself. It makes me wonder. It uh, causes me pause and maybe you too to think how much of my identity is shaped, is fulfilled by this Jesus who fulfilled the prophecies through the line of David, came to be flesh, like my flesh, like your flesh, fully human as we heard, but then also by the power of the Holy Spirit active in his life through the raising him from dead and the power of the resurrection, through whom we have grace. And as Paul is trying to say, and my identity. So as we are introduced to Paul again, as if we were Romans, that we've heard of him, maybe read some of his letters, but never heard anything addressed, especially to us, we start to think, well, what is my identity in Jesus the Christ? How is the power that was manifested in the story of Jesus becoming flesh and then receiving the power of the resurrection to the Holy Spirit, all those things working together, working together in the person of Jesus Christ living in me. It points us to, uh, to direction. It points us to to a place of receiving the gift that is Jesus. It points us to, to, the, to the manger. It points us to, to everything that has happened here already in our, in our time of worship that uh, moves again and again to that, to that miracle, for that sign of God, as, as Isaiah would report, a sign of God that is coming into our lives that need like Ahaz's world, restoration, restoration. It seems like Ahaz was, was kind of ambivalent about his belief. Um, he, he certainly was in the tradition of Israel, and he certain was Israel's king, but they had gone through tremendous oppression and destruction. And all that they had known had been destroyed. It needed restoration. And as we sang three different times in the psalm that that Sarah read for us, restore us again, shine on us, shine on us with your love, O oh God. And see, we repeated that response. It came right from the psalm. We realized that we are maybe singing and saying the sentiment of Ahaz as, as he was in a place needing restoration and maybe even not knowing where to start, not wanting to bother God, or, or maybe 
thinking this is way beyond, way beyond uh, what God can do. Maybe he had domesticated God a little bit more than he realized. He hadn't seen God working in that way especially. And so when he looked at the devastation, he looked at the fracturing of relationships, people that were lost, killed, taken away, and um, all the fabric of their life just in tatters. Well, I don't know what to do. Maybe, maybe we'll just try to hang in there, hunker down, and do the best we can, hide out here in this, uh, in this world of many tribes and, and the hodgepodge of beliefs. And, and you can be our, our pet god. You can come and, and, and console us, and you can help us remember the good old days and how, how wonderful they are. We're never going to get back to those. But the word of the Lord came to Ahaz and said, No, no, I will give you a sign. Ask me, and I will give you a sign. I will restore you. I will restore what you had. I will give you a sign. And even now, even now a young woman, a virgin, is with child, and she will be born, and his name will be Emmanuel. And Ahaz probably, listen, Emmanuel, that means God is with us. Oh, well, I know that. I know that he has given us many things that will help us remember the good old days, the golden days of David, the wealth of Solomon and how, how nations and people from all around the, the world came and, and gave adulation and credit and awe and wonder and praise to Solomon's nation. Things are a lot different now. And the truth, the prophecy is there. You get the idea that Ahaz is believing as much as he could, but he is basing his belief on that which he could expect. And so then we have, have the story of Joseph. It's Matthew's uh, account. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place. Uh, there's one mention of Mary, but then it, all the rest of it is about Joseph. It's about... Uh, about the arranged marriage that he had with Mary, maybe from a time when he, she was maybe uh, a young girl. That was the, the norm in those days. Arrange and arrangements would be made by the parents or a, a professional matchmaker. Things like that couldn't be trusted to the feelings of a human heart, after all. Some wisdom in that. And, uh, and then along the way, as they grew in... Um, in their, own, uh, in their own maturity, became uh, adults, uh, the woman had a chance to say, yes, I do agree to this arrangement that's been made. We can imagine that the parents are in the background saying, you need to do this. Or, or the, maybe the woman might say, I'm not so sure. Well, let's wait until next month or next year you think about this and until maybe, maybe they would come to an agreement or a... a a kind of maturity and peace and, and say, yes, uh, yes, I, I agree to, uh, to follow through on that arrangement that's been made. That was called betrothal. And then that, uh, that initiated a period, um, maybe about a year, maybe more, when, uh, when they, would, they would be, in the eyes of the community, um, husband and wife, and the husband could call the woman the wife, and the wife could call the man the husband, but they were not to consummate their marriage. And there were other things that would wait until after this Jewish ceremony. And it would be a time of preparation. It would be a time of uh, planning. It would be a time of, 
of gathering gifts. It would be a time for the, the fulfillment when they would truly enter into marriage. It was a way to uh, sanctify, to reserve the, the gift of sexuality for the procreation of children. It was a time for, for that symbol also of unity and oneness uh, to be hallowed and to be celebrated by the whole community. Uh, it was a, a bonding for life. And it was something that was sacred in the eyes of God. Maybe that was, uh, maybe that's what Joseph had been dreaming about as he slept um, for years, maybe, and maybe especially in that year of betrothal, as he would go to bed at night to weary, maybe from working in his, uh, his carpenter, his craftsman shop, and uh, thinking about his life with Mary as it would. Uh, as it would unfold very soon, thinking about the children they would have, the home that they would have in Nazareth, thinking about perhaps many sons that would help him in his business, and thinking about all the, all the support and all the family fun that they would have with both of their families. Uh, pleasant days ahead, a dream of prosperity and peace. Uh-oh. Uh, Mary's pregnant. What? Your betrothed is pregnant. We don't know how Joseph got that news. Hopefully he got it right from her. Uh, Joseph, we need to talk. What? And you can imagine that his life, his expectations, his dreams, all of a sudden, all of a sudden were, just, uh, were just destroyed. Uh, like oppressors coming into Israel and, and destroying their nation taking some off to exile and just obliterating the dreams that they ever had as a nation. Here it was in microcosm again. Joseph, his, his life, his dreams of the way that life was going to be, his progeny, his respect, his, uh, his balance, and, uh, and all that he had learned to pass on to, to his children, destroyed. Just with that unexpected news, You know how the story goes that he was a righteous man, it says. That meant that he kept the law. That meant that he, he knew the law. He knew that he, he had the right when uh, it was exposed or known to the community that Mary was pregnant. She's betrothed. She's not married yet. Hmm. They had the right to assume adultery is in, involved. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments broken and uh, an, appropriate, an appropriate punishment was to stone her. That would be a, a time of uh, preserving the righteousness according to the law. It would be a, a time of, of preserving the dignity of the husband. It would be a warning to the, to the other people in the village, maybe especially the women, that uh, they needed to remain pure and chaste, uh, for their husbands, for their wedding day. But Mary, or Joseph, uh, knows all that, but yet, yet there is a kindness in him. There is a, there is a love in him uh, that he, as he goes to sleep one night, and maybe he's been doing this several nights, but this night he, he's thinking, well, 
I need to do what I need to do. I need to break off this engagement, this betrothal. But I'm not going to make a public spectacle. I'm not going to make this an issue. I'll just hope that it kind of is something that, uh, that maybe we can handle in a very discreet way. Uh, maybe Mary can, can go away for a few months and, uh, or maybe go to live somewhere else or, or you know how relationships sometimes fall apart. Maybe, maybe she said, no, no, I don't want to marry you, Joseph. Yes, I would put up with that kind of embarrassment. I'm going to put her away quietly Tell the rabbi, you know, that I'm I'm divorcing her. I'm sure that he'll understand too that that I don't want to press charges. I don't want any kind of spectacle to happen. And so maybe that gave him enough peace in his mind that he could sleep. And as he sleeps, he dreams. And you heard the story how an angel came to him in his dream and said, "Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife." For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus is a Greek form of Joshua. Yeshua is the way that Joseph would have said that and heard that. And it means God is our salvation. God is our salvation. Maybe Joseph, in his unrighteousness, would have shrugged off that encounter with the messenger of God in his dream. Maybe he would have awakened and said, oh, man, that was weird. What did I have for, for supper? That old cold pizza, maybe that was a little older than I thought. Maybe a weird thing. No, he believed. He believed that it was the Lord speaking to him a work of the Holy Spirit coming into his life, saying, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And in between the lines, you are part of the, you are part of the unexpected thing that God is doing, that I am doing in the world to restore, to bring forgiveness of sins, to unite Israel again with the ways and the truth, and the Holy Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit's work that is happening. And maybe it was, maybe it was love that was in Joseph. Maybe the birth of love that, that happened as he matured and as he, as he was learning the ways of God and uh, God's mercy and God's God's motives to care for his creation and to restore, redeem his creation. And maybe that love in him was maturing and continued to grow and so that as it was in the midst of complicated, unexpected situations, he responded in a way that gave life, that preserved creation, that believed that God was active believe that Holy Spirit was powerful and present there and even in his life, in this messy situation. Love. Love. I heard 
a song about love, the birth of love. One of the phrases in there, uh, love is the way, love is a two-way thing. I, didn't, I was absorbed in the dance, so I didn't catch the words real, real clearly. But, but it, it brought to mind the way that the Apostle Paul talked about love. And even now you're thinking, 1 Corinthians 13, that's a love chapter. Yeah, it is. It is. Verses 4 through 7 are interesting, and, and it really makes it accessible to me when I, when I hear the word love. I know what it is, but it is, is something that is, it has become uh, uh, so, uh, so sung about and talked about and, and exhibited in many ways that it's kind of easy to, um, to applaud it, kind of easy for us to adopt our own, our own version of it. But thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit working through the Apostle Paul has given us a more particular way to answer the question, well, what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Ah, this is like Joseph, isn't it? The choice that he made to does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, the truth that the Holy Spirit was, was at work in the body of, of Mary. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Could this been, have been the, the light of the Holy Spirit, the energy pulling him through this unexpected, mess, messy situation to see more than coping with it, but, but to glimpse God is in this, and how could I not be a part of it? And just as Mary has been selected to be a part of the gift of love that God has given, so also perhaps I am being selected to be a part of this gift that is coming to be. It helps us to enter into the story with our own lives, doesn't it? Joseph's story, his response, these particular things that the Apostle Paul talks about when he talks about love. And then just a few verses later, chapter 1, chapter 14, verse 1, he begins it by saying, pursue love. Pursue love. Love is an entity. Love is a spirit. Love is a, is a presence. Love is something that, that you enter into and that can fill you. And that as your, your faith is practiced and as that you choose love as an action in your own life, that you become these things that love is. You do not create it, they recreate you. They restore you to what God had in mind when he created you. And so, thank you. Thank you, youth of the church, for the birth of love. There were so many unexpected things in, in your program. I knew a little bit about what was going to happen, uh, but I was still surprised. I was still delighted to, to see how you are responding 
responding to the ancient story and the and the message and the love of God in bringing Jesus into the world. And I feel in myself a an invitation and a response to to say yes, yes, I want to be a part of that. Part of that love. I want to pursue what you were doing and portraying. A part of what you were risking to express in your program today. And to say something is being born. We are not just doing something out of memory and nostalgia. This is not just tradition. No, something very real is born. And that's love. That needs to be reborn again and again in our lives, in the world, and in our own choices. May the Lord add his blessing. The Holy Spirit that already has been in your program today and helped us to think about the birth of love.